throughout secondary school, I was always thinking, why haven't I started my period yet? I was 15 when I started and I probably had three or four normal regular periods and then it just stopped and that's when my mum was getting worried. Why has it stopped? And then when I finally did, it was like a five month long every single day period it was really really long and heavy so Mm -hmm. it wasn't just like a light drop or anything here and there and then my mum got me a GP appointment and then when we went to the GP obviously they bring up that first year of having a period it's going to be up and down it's not going to be smoothly every single month thing Mm -hmm. but then they just book you an ultrasound so then when I had the ultrasound they just found like 10 or 11 cysts on my ovaries. It wasn't until a year later when I was experiencing a lot of pain and that's when you'd have to go back to get some sort of treatment because it's not something you can handle with just painkillers and I was missing a lot of school and you're just like, oh, this is just another problem. Like, I just thought I'm just going to get told that my periods are just irregular. It's not a relief when you hear it, it's just like, oh another problem that you kind of have the burden of. A condition that affects 10% of women in the UK is still so severely misunderstood both within and outside of the medical community. That condition is polycystic ovarian syndrome or simply PCOS. The litany of symptoms that come along with PCOS impact people's daily lives and unfortunately attracts its own myths and misinformation. And we're really going to break down those myths with Alex Williams, registered associate nutritionist and founder of The Collective Wellness. We're also joined by Taslima Zaman, who's sharing her experience with PCOS. Welcome to season three of the Growth Medium podcast. My name is Sarah, a second year medical student and one of the co-hosts of the Growth Medium. And I'm Mim, a biochemistry graduate from Queen Mary, and I'm also a co-host of The Growth Medium. This season on The Growth Medium, we talk to experts like Dr. Nagat Arif and Dr. Eleanor Clegg-Horn. Together, we unpack the myths and misinformation around women's health. We are also joined by many brave individuals who honoured us by sharing their stories and experiences with things like PCOS, endometriosis, and much, much more. Join us every Monday here on The Growth Medium so we can grow our mindsets together. Enjoy! Hello, hello. It's another Monday on The Growth Medium and today we're blessing you with an episode about PCOS with Tasima Zaman and Alex Williams. Now, I don't personally know much about PCOS but I'm here to learn today but what I do know is that there's a lot of confusing information out there particularly about diet and lifestyle in relation to PCOS so I'm really glad you're here with us today Alex to help clear the air thank you so much for having me I'm really excited to be here thank you we're excited to have you on could you tell us a little bit about your story so what led you to becoming a nutritionist and then specializing in PCOS Yeah, so I've always been really interested in food and nutrition in general. Um, So I decided to go to uni and do a biological sciences degree, which I really enjoyed because I kind of knew I was good at biology at school. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And then I just 
kept picking all the nutrition and exercise physiology modules it's just kind of the road I went down and then I did some work with the nutrition society and I decided I'm going to do my nutrition master's once I finished and while I was doing my master's at King's College which I I really did enjoy I became really interested in intuitive eating as a concept Um, a lot of nutrition professionals at the time were kind of transitioning into this area and I hadn't heard of it before and I just couldn't believe there was this whole area of nutrition and like a different way of approaching things I'd never heard of and that I definitely was not taught so did my own research did all the courses like learning from loads of different people doing different webinars and shadowing and when I finished and when I graduated I started working one-on-one with clients and I was mainly working um, with people on their relationship with food and movement and with their bodies like doing a lot of body image work which I really really enjoyed but a lot of the clients I was having were people who had PCOS and it just kind of naturally happened where it was just everyone I seemed to be working with had PCOS and a lot of my testimonials were like oh Alex helped me with my PCOS management and stuff like that so I kind of naturally went from there so I decided to invest in some courses and kind of really like niche down into that area and since about June this year it's the I only now take on clients who have PCOS because it's such a complex syndrome I really kind of wanted to give it my all and um, do all my learning around it and help people manage their symptoms without restriction and get away from the usual diet advice that kind of follows PCOS around and I in particular really like helping people who want to get pregnant. You know what? You're so lucky that you were able to do nutrition courses at uni at undergrad level because I'm interested in nutrition. So I'm looking to do that hopefully at master's level Mm -hmm. next year. But I've had nothing about nutrition throughout my biochemistry degree. So I really all I know about it is, you know, what I find online and stuff. So kind of jealous about that. Yeah, it was really unique to the course I did. And that's kind of why I picked it, um, because I saw that there was loads of scope for picking those sort of modules Mm -hmm. and I'm really glad I did that because it really like sparked my interest and kept me going through those years because I really like those bits kept me going through the tougher biochem modules (laughs) so Tasima has been suffering with PCOS for a while now could you tell us about your story how did you find out that you had PCOS and describe that moment I was quite a late bloomer in life I am throughout secondary school I was always thinking why haven't I started my period yet I was 15 when I started and I probably had three or four normal regular periods oh my god and then it just stopped and that's when my mum was getting worried why had it started and then I just didn't get one when I finally did it was like a five month long every single day period wait so you were on your period for five months at yeah a time? oh my god it was really really long and heavy so mm-hmm. it wasn't just like a light drop or anything here and there my mum got me a GP appointment and then when we went to the GP obviously they bring up that first year of having a period it's going to be up and down it's not going to be smoothly every single month thing Mm -hmm. but then they just book you an ultrasound because they were just quite worried and they were just like we're just going to do it anyway so then when I had the ultrasound they just found like 10 or 11 cysts on my ovaries and it wasn't that painful at that point yeah but then it wasn't until I'd say a year later when I was experiencing a lot of pain and that's when you'd have to go back to get some sort of treatment because it's not something you can handle with just painkillers and I was missing a lot of school Mm -hmm. so then they have a lot of treatment that they prescribe to you so you could be on birth control or an implant Mm -hmm. and even with birth control there's so many different types of birth control so many different strengths and it's really just trial and error Mm -hmm. so like the first one I got wasn't really working I was just breaking out a lot and that's just a reaction I had and then I think I was on three different types that's when I started noticing that I was gaining a lot of weight Mm -hmm. and it wasn't something that made me 
insecure in a sense but it's just another thing to kind of think about yeah and you're just like oh this is just another problem like I just thought I'm just gonna get told that my periods are just irregular yeah so it's not a relief when you hear it it's just like oh it's another problem that you kind of yeah have the burden of And then, so you mentioned that you were really interested in the intuitive eating aspect of nutrition. And so it's quite interesting, you take a food freedom approach, so like a, a non-restrictive approach. But particularly for PCOS management, it's quite interesting because it doesn't take you too long to go on Instagram and find certain people recommending low carb, low calorie, gluten-free, dairy-free, everything free, diet and um, which we'll touch on later but for now can you can you explain why you take a food freedom approach and perhaps what what is that mm -hmm. so I take a food freedom approach with clients because to put it really simply dieting doesn't work for most people and especially for people with PCOS it can be really really damaging so instead I take this food freedom approach where we work together using evidence-based methods it's all evidence-based but it's just more a holistic approach which I think kind of scares people because they think that means that it's not legit science but it's just taking that kind of whole body approach we don't just look at nutrition even though I'm a nutritionist we look at managing stress improving sleep fostering like self-care habits which doesn't just mean like bubble baths and stuff like that we work on gentle nutrition so that's definitely in there things we can add to the diet or tweaks we can make rather than like taking things away and also finding intuitive movement so movement that people genuinely enjoy and I find this approach is just a lot more sustainable it genuinely works we've seen it in the literature and obviously I've seen it anecdotally working with clients um, and it also just gives people a, a much more positive life and kind of outlook because it's not constantly thinking about what you're eating next and the exercise class you've booked in which you hate going to and you feel like you're being punished when you go to so it's just it's a whole kind of lifestyle approach of actually making someone's life a more yeah just much more positive and I feel like with the food freedom approach, when people first hear it or when people first hear of intuitive eating, they're kind of like, oh, so I just get to eat whatever I want and do whatever I want and eat donuts all day. But that's not the approach at all, is it? It's more about kind of listening to your body, giving yourself a little bit of a self-care framework. We had an episode with an intuitive eating dietitian about this, Catherine. And yeah, no, I think a lot of us we're stuck in this mentality of if we want to get fit and healthy we have to do these really rigorous kind of gym classes and eat quotes clean all the time but no that's not really what we need right yeah I think you're completely right that a lot of people have that all or nothing approach to kind of everything mm -hmm. and also just equating that you know the whole thing of weight equals health which we, we know isn't true and there's actually a study that's come out this week that actually managed to hit like sky news and the daily mail and stuff which is just feels amazing <laughs> I feel like we're getting somewhere um and yeah a lot more people are kind of getting on board with that now that it's not just that weight equals health or that if you you know exercise in the gym every single day that means you're healthy we're kind of realizing okay it's, it's more than that and that's kind of what I do with my clients and we work through those principles I definitely should take a read of that paper. I haven't seen it yet. We'll get to the benefits of this approach a little bit uh, deeper, a little bit later. But for those who don't know, could you briefly describe what PCOS is and the impact it can have on people? Yeah, sure. So PCOS, um, some people call it PCOS as well. It's polycystic ovary syndrome or polycystic ovarian syndrome. It really depends where you are in the world. But it's an endocrine disorder, which means it's a primarily a hormone disorder. And hormones are chemical messengers that travel in the bloodstream to different parts of the body. In people with PCOS, two hormones in particular are kind of at 
uh, levels that we wouldn't expect to see. So insulin and androgens um, are produced generally in higher quantities. It depends on the person, but that's what we tend to see. So androgens are kind of known as male type hormones, but we can see them in people with um, female reproductive organs. They're just usually in lower quantities, but in PCOS, they're just higher. Although it's an endocrine disorder, it does have reproductive and metabolic consequences, and it affects one in 10 people with ovaries in the UK. So it is something that affects a whole host of people, but not that many people know much about it or know how to spot it or know how to diagnose it. And actually, um, Verity, who's the PCOS charity in the UK, thinks it's actually, we actually have a lot more people who have PCOS and they just don't know it yet. So uh, that's really interesting. But it is a, it's a syndrome, which means it's a collection of symptoms. So it really does present differently in different people. Common symptoms we see are things like acne and oily skin hair growth in places we wouldn't expect to see it, hair loss from our heads, irregular or loss of periods entirely, infertility, fatigue. And as you can see, there's so many different symptoms which overlap with other disorders or conditions that it can be hard to pinpoint whether it is PCOS that is the issue. And it really does impact people's lives. As you can imagine with those symptoms, you know, we have body image concerns with things like excessive hair growth or acne and things like that. But we also have the consequence of you know, struggles to get pregnant or infertility, which we know can be really emotionally and physically draining. In terms of like other symptoms and stuff, do you have anything else and how does that affect your like day-to-day life? I think I just get very tired. It <laughs> fatigues a thing. Yeah. And I don't know, it could be just pure laziness or it could, I did get, it's like, when you have prolonged periods of bleeding, you do get tired because of you're course, losing so yeah. much blood. Like my hemoglobin count was really low at that point. Mm-hmm. So you do get tired. And then when you've got this pain to deal with, you don't want to eat. You're eating all over the place. You're not getting energy from anything. Mm-hmm. So it really is just something to kind of like, you have to get over it in a sense. You have to bring yourself out of that rut that you're in. Yeah. You're just in bed constantly all day. Yeah. How did it affect your school? And so I was that? in GCSE, yeah, and mm. my attendance was pretty crap. It was like 60%. Oh, my God. And it was... I, I missed a lot of mocks that were happening at the time because that's when I was in hospital. And you do kind of think, am I going to be able to do this and that because I'm missing so much school, but past. So. I had enough, yeah. <laughs> And then when you were actually during school and this all was happening, was yeah. the school like quite like understanding about the yeah, situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. right, that's good. Because I know that a lot of teenagers, especially when they're kind of like at that 16 to mm-hmm. 18 age, they might say they have heavy periods. It might be PCOS, it might be endo. They don't know because they're, no. like, they're not going to It check. is quite a hard thing to diagnose because sometimes you can take up to like six years to fully have a diagnosis. When you start, it will be up and down so that's yeah. why doctors don't usually diagnose so early yeah unless they have a lot of like yeah i think from stuff yeah yeah i think with endometriosis the average time it takes is like seven and a half years yeah to get diagnosed which obviously when you're young and you're a teenager and you've just gotten your period maybe a few years they're ago to, yeah they're trying to let you have some time they're trying to let you have some time but also it's hard i guess to bring it up to the school that hey i do have a heavy period yeah i am in a lot of pain they don't take you seriously no. like my longest song is like 10 months Oh my god. And you said that it's not just a reproductive disorder, it's more of a metabolic one. But I feel that a lot of people, I don't know if it, this is a general, too much of a generalisation, but um, in people tend to think that because of the name polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's only got to do with ovaries. But that's not quite the case. And there's also more than one type of PCOS 
Is that correct? So can you tell us a bit more about these different types? Because I didn't, I didn't really know this before. I thought it was just one umbrella term, but it turns out there's more than one type. Yeah, so we do have these unique phenotypes of PCOS, which is a relatively recent kind of discovery, I suppose. It means that you can categorize it into A, B, C, or D type PCOS. And A is when you have all three of the criteria to diagnose it. So you have the high androgen levels, you have the cysts on the ovaries, which is seen during an ultrasound, and you have the lack of periods or um, ovulation, or you have irregular periods or irregular ovulation. So type A is kind of considered the most severe type of PCOS. And people with this type have been seen um, to have higher risk of metabolic and cardiovascular outcomes, whereas D, type D PCOS is kind of considered the least severe. So that's kind of how that works. In alternative medicine, some people are trying to find like the root cause and whether it's like adrenal um, PCOS or post-pill PCOS, there's a few different ones there, but ones we just don't have enough evidence to kind of pinpoint it down to the cause yet. And yeah, we just don't have the evidence to say whether it's one thing. Okay, that's interesting because I've seen a lot of PCOS advocates on Instagram and stuff. I wouldn't know that there were different types of PCOS if I hadn't gone and looked for it. I've seen a lot of stuff about, you know, adrenal PCOS and um, post-pill PCOS. I didn't realise that was a thing. But yeah, and I feel similarly, a lot of people when they're first diagnosed with PCOS, most are really just told to go and lose weight or go on the pill to regulate their periods. And a lot of them don't realize actually what's wrong. So is it that they have the high androgens or the high insulin? So we're not even sure if the weight management or the birth control control will work for them. What do you think about this way of dealing with PCOS and is it actually beneficial? Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think it's beneficial for people to be sent away from the doctor without understanding their PCOS or PCOS just as a whole or having, you know, they're often sent away without tools to help them. So like you said, it's kind of, it's it's three things usually. It's lose weight, go on the pill or come back when you want to get pregnant or a combination of those. And I think when we think about health, we tend to think about nutrition and exercise for everyone, but especially for people with PCOS, there's so many more factors to think about. We've got those, that sleep, that rest, the stress, the supplementation before you even add in nutrition and exercise. So a lot of people think that losing weight will be the cure for PCOS. First of all, there's no cure. Unfortunately, it's something we manage. But second of all, you maybe think it's going to help your symptoms. We know that people of all shapes and sizes can get PCOS. It's not that being in a larger body causes PCOS or anything like that at all. And we actually know that dieting can exacerbate symptoms of PCOS. So long term, it can um, increase levels of fatigue, which is already a problem in PCOS. It can increase insulin levels and increase inflammation. And chronic inflammation is something that's associated with PCOS. So in the long term, dieting, and restriction will actually do more harm than good so it's just this blanket recommendation of saying lose weight it really it doesn't address the, the issue like you said and it doesn't it's not a sustainable way of looking at your health yeah and I feel like when it comes to advice uh, weight loss advice that's given doctors generally just say you know go lose weight and then people will go on these extremely restrictive diets that aren't sustainable and as we know like you said dieting isn't isn't something that's beneficial it does lead to that uh, mm-hmm. extreme fatigue and sometimes it's just miserable it's just miserable so Pure yeah quality of life and no one wants that exactly but unfortunately this doesn't stop how many diets that come up hey i hope you're enjoying this episode so far so that we can continue making great episodes like this please consider supporting us over on ko-fi link is in the show notes 
And I don't know how many you want to debunk today, but I think one thing to definitely clear up is the idea that people with PCOS need to go low carb or keto to manage their symptoms. Is this necessary and does it help with symptom management? So going low carb if you have PCOS will actually cause a hell of a lot more carb cravings, which is already exacerbated because of the insulin resistance that we see in most people with PCOS. So, mm-hmm. and for people with PCOS, carbs can be included in a, you know, like a nice varied diet and avoiding them will cause the cravings and you'll also miss out on vital nutrients. So we know that going keto or extremely low carbohydrate can really impact our gut health, which there are studies now that we were thinking PCOS might be slightly linked to gut health. Like it seems to be for everything at the moment, you know, gut health is really coming out as something we need to foster, you know, really good gut health. Um, and having a low carbohydrate diet will reduce our intake of fiber. So we're increasing the likelihood of, of constipation, increasing colon cancer. And we really do need carb, we do need carbohydrates and fiber to function. You know, we know our brain loves glucose. So realistically, if you want to be miserable, sure, go low carb. That's my advice. <laughs> yeah, and I think the low carb idea is kind of an interesting one. And dare I say, a little bit misplaced. From my understanding, some people with PCOS have insulin resistance, which means that the insulin doesn't effectively take the glucose into the cells. So our cells like glucose, that's how they work. And that's what leads to intense carb cravings uh, cravings if the cells don't get the glucose that they need. So then to me, it feels counterintuitive to then restrict the thing that our cells are wanting. Is my line of thinking correct here? And let me know what your professional opinion on this is. Yeah, you're exactly right. So approximately 50 to 95%, it really depends on the study, of people with PCOS have insulin resistance, um, completely regardless of body weight. And high levels of insulin, because of the insulin resistance, can result in those symptoms like weight gain, irregular periods, fertility problems, higher levels of testosterone, all common symptoms. So to manage the carb cravings that tend to accompany insulin resistance, it's important to really tackle why the insulin resistance is occurring, kind of nip it in the bud, I suppose. So high levels of testosterone increase insulin resistance and insulin resistance increases testosterone. So it's almost like a vicious cycle. It keeps going round. So we need to reduce those androgen levels with medication. So you have to speak to your doctor about that, supplementation, speak to a dietitian or nutritionist about that. Uh, lower our stress levels in particular will really, really help with lowering the kind of androgen side of things and then with the insulin resistance side we want to do a bit of both so then the the cycle slows down at least if not stop so with insulin resistance we can do things like swapping white carbohydrates with our whole grain alternative you know boosting the fiber and pairing carbohydrates and you know in most meals and snacks with fats and proteins just to create that nice balanced plate which we see a lot this will help slow down the blood glucose release and help with insulin resistance yeah, that's that's great advice because a lot of people feel like they have to cut out all types of carbs and that's not necessarily true. There's always the kind of more, I guess, lower GI carbs or combining higher GI carbs with like a source of protein or fat to kind of slow down that glucose, oh, sorry, that insulin spike. And then another idea that seems to be really popular is that PCOS causes people to have lower basal metabolic rates, so BMRs. And that could mean in order to lose weight, you'd have to go on an extremely low calorie diet. Although research shows that um, the BMR appears to have appears to be lower in individuals with PCOS, that doesn't necessarily mean that their calorie intake should be cut to 1200 calories or even lower. What's your take on this? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of evidence coming out, especially recently, suggesting that people with PCOS have the have a lower BMR. And just like you said, people really do take that quite literally of that means I have to completely cut out all the things I love and go really low calorie. But putting this stress on the body through dieting, and I really want people to kind of take this as a take home today is dieting 
and excessive exercise is stress on the body. So if we're putting loads of stress on the body, then we're increasing the cortisol, which we know impacts PCOS directly by increasing inflammation and adding to the hyperandrogenism. So causing those symptoms like oily skin, acne, hair loss, hair gain in places we wouldn't expect. So all of those symptoms are exacerbated by dieting and it isn't sustainable to eat that low calorie amount of, you know, for the rest of your life. So it's why I take weight loss and calorie counting off the table when I work with clients. And I think you could say that when people get so bogged down in weight loss, they lose sight of the bigger picture. As you said, it's about sustainability. It's about can you continue this in the long term? Can you, can you, it, it needs to become a lifestyle change, not just a temporary change. And I think that's what a lot of people get confused with. Weight loss could be one of your goals, but perhaps we should think about um, just the general picture, the wider picture um, in terms of health and just body weight and everything really especially when it comes to PCOS Mm -hmm. definitely I completely agree and I think that once people kind of take weight loss out of the equation then they will end up having better results in terms of their PCOS management because if you're fixated on weight loss you're going to do all the things we know exacerbate PCOS symptoms whereas if you kind of really hone in and focus on like what I've been saying stress management sleep all of that sort of stuff then you are going to feel a thousand times better and you're going to feel really good and you're going to want to keep continuing doing those things. It feels really nice to, you know, have strategies in your toolbox, which means you cope with stress really well. You reduce stress in your day-to-day life. You've got a really good sleep routine. You know, all of these things that we know contribute to a happy, healthy life. And that's what I just really try and focus on with people is let's talk about this for now. If weight changes, okay, I feel completely neutral about that. You know, it's just, let's just focus on the health promoting activities and then leave weight in the back burner. And it's actually a huge, huge pet peeve of mine. There's a lot of TikTok influencers who calories in equals calories out seems to be the only thing that they preach when it comes to weight loss. So, you know, it doesn't matter how low your calories need to be, you need to go under that to lose weight. And actually, that that's a horrible thing to recommend i actually saw one influencer i think the uh, the guideline for recommending calories 1200 calories is like the lowest you can recommend and one influencer actually suggested if you need to eat lower than 1200 calories then just do it ignore these guidelines and i was just like no 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 please don't do that please do not do that like what a first of all it's irresponsible advice to give and then what a horrible thing to try and inflict on people who are probably really you know insecure about their body weight or their body image mm-hmm. yeah vulnerable people taking advantage of them it's absolutely awful and that's kind of what I try and do on my Instagram is kind of counteract those myths mm-hmm. and kind of write something really evidence-based and kind of come back at those people who often don't have qualifications but still like to really kind of give their opinion and give their advice out as if they have yeah these qualifications which they just don't and I think a lot of people have difficulty kind of getting to grips with the idea that promoting health promoting behaviors as the first goal I feel like a lot of people see weight loss as the first goal and then secondary to that is the maybe health promoting behaviors but with the food freedom approach it kind of weight is not in the equation at all and I quite like that approach because a lot of people, the reason they want to lose weight, especially if they have PCOS, is so that they can better manage their symptoms. But you're going to better manage your symptoms if you go on those health-promoting behaviours. And I think kind of shifting that mentality in people is quite a difficult thing to do. But I like that you're on Instagram promoting this food freedom approach because I haven't personally seen that in the PCOS space at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that unlinking weight loss from health is probably the, one of the first things I do with my clients. and 
I can I find it really really beneficial to to do that to start with and we know that weight loss is an outcome it's not a behavior it's not something we we can just do and be like today I'm gonna lose weight that's that's not it is an outcome we do other things before that to lose weight so let's focus on the behaviors that we can we have in our control because we know that weight loss is weight in general is kind of controlled by so many different factors out in the world even like where you're born you know all of these factors the weight that you're born at you know ridiculous things you can have no control over so let's think about things we can we do have a bit of control over you know making sure our environments are comfortable and we you know obviously these are things that you know for you have to have a certain level of privilege to be able to control these things, you know, things like being able to have a comfortable place to sleep and not stressing about money and things like that. But the things that we can control, let's do those. And let's just kind of relax everything else that we can't control. And then if weight changes, it changes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And you're still going to come out of it healthier. You know, since we have a little bit of time, I do actually have a question that I wanted to ask, but I didn't include because I thought we'd run out of time. One thing in particular that I've been seeing a lot on Reddit and Instagram as well is the idea to go gluten-free and dairy-free. And the idea is that gluten and dairy are kind of, they cause inflammation and people with PCOS are in a state of low-grade chronic inflammation anyway, so these make it worse. What's your opinion on this? Yeah, so you're right that um, chronic inflammation is something that's associated with PCOS. Obviously, you'll both know that we want some inflammation in the body. That's what helps us kind of recover from, from injury and stuff like that. And yeah, we do want to reduce inflammation, but changing your diet isn't going to do a hell of a lot really with that. The one thing we can do is probably supplement with an omega-3 supplement if you're not eating that much fish or adding a portion of fish in a week. You know, that sort of thing is more realistic to actually help inflammation. And like with the gluten-free stuff, I actually wrote a post on this recently. It was around 20% of people who were surveyed with PCOS we're on a gluten-free diet, but there's actually no evidence to suggest that people with PCOS need to cut out gluten and removing it will actually result in, you know, without careful planning, if you, you know, if you're celiac, it's a different story, but without careful planning, if you're just pulling out gluten for kind of, because you think it's going to help you, you might have, you know, below optimal fiber, which you've spoken about, kind of the risks of that, low iron, folate, zinc. So it's not something that we should just do for the sake of it, because someone we know said it worked for them. We need to be, you know, really focusing on things that we you know that are actually evidence-based that we can change so like the, the you know adding an omega-3 balancing our blood glucose levels by creating a, a more balanced plate and um it's a similar story with dairy where there's not a hell of a lot of evidence but there are a few studies that have seen that actually fat-free or low-fat dairy may contribute to acne development just because of the differing hormone profile when you remove the fat so if you do struggle with acne um with your pcos then try swapping to full fat if you're on kind of the low fat or, you know, half fat alternatives and see if that makes a difference. And it's all about approaching these interventions, you know, and I do this with my clients. It's all about approaching it with curiosity rather than judgment, seeing how it works for you, you know, and not kind of judging yourself if you find it difficult. You know, it's just like making these really small changes and seeing whether it works for you, but also not taking that all or nothing approach. of I'm going to cut out dairy just because of this one study said that, you know, low fat milk might contribute to acne. You know, it's not, it's not as clear cut as that. And I, you know, I wish it was, I wish I could say, yes, do this, this and this, and your PCOS will go away. But that's not how, all you know, being a nutritionist works. That's just, yeah, we just don't have evidence like that to say you have to do this to, to do this. So you work with a lot of PCOS clients. Do you find that after they've been diagnosed with PCOS and they've come from the doctor, do they know enough about the disease and what it means for them? Are they, Do they have any leaflets that they come with or is it that they come out of the doctor's office not knowing what's going on that makes them so vulnerable to all this misinformation around them? 
Yeah, you're right. Obviously, there's some amazing doctors out there who understand PCOS, understand kind of, you know, women's health issues in general and kind of have a better understanding. But there are a lot of doctors who don't have have that knowledge. And the, yeah, a lot of people are just sent away with the leaflets. Some people aren't even sent away with that. And they hear this PCOS thing and maybe someone they know has got it and they can't have a baby, for example. So they automatically assume, oh, that means I'm infertile. And it's a really scary thing of hearing that and you know, a doctor may go about it in maybe not the most compassionate way and sort of be like, yeah, yeah, your chances will, will be lower to have a child. And that can really upset someone or really, you know, as you can imagine, have a massive impact. And a lot of people, that means that they turn to kind of Dr. Google and they ask people they know and they go in Facebook groups, which can be really toxic places for diet culture to thrive and for people to sell things like, you know, all the juices and all of that stuff, because people are so desperate to get something that works and because the symptoms can be really, you know, debilitating. And we, you know, we always see us around anything to do with people trying to get pregnant. It's a very vulnerable time in your life. And it's kind of for that time of your life for people, it really is kind of the main goal, you know, wanting to get pregnant. So if they're struggling, then they will try anything. And that's why people, um, yeah, they can, they just they're there to sell. I think that's the problem. And but there are some people who are genuinely doing it because it's worked for them. But we know that nutrition advice we can't really generalize. There's a few things we can generalize, like saying have vitamin D in the winter. You know, that's you know because that's a low risk intervention that we can say for everyone. You know, in public health. But with something like PCOS, it's just not that clear cut. Did you find that, you know, when you actually got that diagnosis, was there like a lot of information that was given to you, or was it kind of just? Yeah, you have some cysts um, in your there was, It was quite a lot of information because I've had cysts elsewhere in my body in the past, so it was brought up. That's why they kind of like thought, oh, we need to look into it. It's not just a irregular period kind yeah. of thing. So then when you actually got that diagnosis, it wasn't relief. It was just like, oh, like, yeah. here's the thing I have to yeah. deal with. Because after that, it was endometriosis, so it was like one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the end of that it was just more investigating yeah wait so do you have endometrium yeah oh my god you've got both Both of them oh that's and it was literally like the same year yeah and you found that out when you were 16 yeah 16 years old yeah and it's interesting that you mentioned that someone might know someone with pcos and they're infertile because so i'm south asian i'm from bangladesh and i believe a lot of south asian women have pcos i've I feel like I don't actually know the percentage, but it could be close to fifty. There's a there's a lot of women with PCOS. It's quite a big thing in South Asian culture, and so it's likely that your mum or your auntie or someone will have PCOS. And it's interesting because you'll see them suffer. And <laughs> the thing is, with South Asians, you have about like five kids. <laughs> That's not going to be a problem. But you'll see them suffer with you know the heavy periods or the extreme fatigue. But we don't talk about it. There's not like a support group with south asian women with pcos there's not it's not something that we talk about because it seems deemed as something shameful or something to hide because it's linked to you know menstrual cycles and stuff so i just wanted to bring that out there because it that's what came to my mind when you talked about knowing someone else with pcos mm-hmm, definitely and i think we see it with a lot of i'm saying women's health I'm, I, I don't have a way yet to say it in a kind of gender neutral way uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the medical sphere as you guys know it is just called women's health so that's what i'm going to call yeah. it um but in that sphere you know things like endometriosis they're also misunderstood and not talked about and it's just it's just like you said it's because it's to do with periods and people are scared of talking about mm-hmm. it i think and and i also think that in certain cultures and traditions it's really shameful not to be able to have children and that can be a massive thing mm-hmm. that impacts 
people actually having these conversations and you know with PCOS it's just going to take you a little bit, well not for everyone but for some people it might take a bit longer we you know that it doesn't mean that you're going to be infertile it just means that it might take a bit longer to get pregnant and that's something I really want people to take home today that doesn't mean that you can never have a baby yeah and actually that is such a huge thing in South Asian culture you know I'm I'm generalizing a lot here but generally speaking um, it's an expectation that you'll get married off and then you'll have a couple of kids and as you said because there's that shame around perhaps not being able to provide that in an easy way a lot of people don't talk about it and a lot of people don't mention it so just to kind of re-clarify things you do take a food freedom approach which we discussed is more about health promoting behaviors and intuitive eating and that type of stuff why is this approach more beneficial than for example just losing weight you've talked about the stress and stuff but is there anything more than that Mm -hmm. so I've seen intuitive eating being really, really beneficial with people with PCOS. Removing the stress and anxiety around food can be a massive thing, a massive player in PCOS. And learning that all food has its place in the diet can prevent things like binging, which really does improve health long term. You know, if you are someone who's maybe dieting, going on a 1200 calorie diet, it's not sustainable. So you will end up binging at some point. And at that point, you're probably not thinking, oh, I'm going to pair my hate carbohydrates with my protein and my fats. So then we're having these massive spikes in insulin. And then, yeah, maybe you'll go back on the diet for a bit. But then it's that classic restrict binge cycle, which I'm sure uh, Catherine Kemper spoke to you all about when in her intuitive eating episode. So we know that long term that doing a more intuitive eating approach, being more in tune with your body is going to be more beneficial to prevent stuff like that. Also with intuitive eating especially if you're someone with PCOS who wants to get pregnant, it can be really useful to get back in tune with your body because it can really help with things like, you know, with PCOS, we know that ovulation can be difficult to time. And we also know that, you know, like ovulation sticks that people use when they're trying to get pregnant, they really don't work very well with PCOS. So it can actually be a really nice way to get in tune with your body and, you know, figure out things like, when you're ovulating by looking at like your cervical mucus and kind of having feelings in your body, like around your round time of ovulation, things like um, ovary pain, and maybe you have a fat cramp, or maybe you have, you know, cramps in your stomach, stuff like that. So, you know, the intuitive easing approach can really help because it really does help you get back in tune, which can help with so many different things like the food freedom stuff, but also with, you know, figuring out what your what your body's telling you. Okay, I didn't realise that an ovary ache or back pain was a legit, like, kind of thing you feel when you ovulate. I didn't realise that. Not everyone does, but a lot of people do kind of have a twinge in their ovaries, especially people with things like endometriosis really can be very Mm. in tune with stuff like that. And pelvic pain and aches around there as well. So, you know, like I said, some people don't feel any different. They might have a bit of a change in cervical mucus, but be like, oh, I couldn't really tell. But for some people, they can really get tuned in and be like, okay, there's definitely something going on. My right ovaries twinge there, it's left twinge there. And unfortunately with PCOS, when you have these cysts, sometimes they can rupture and it can be really painful. So people are generally quite in tune with their reproductive organs. That's so interesting. It is, isn't it? And then just as the last question for this episode, do you have any last tips for people with PCOS or any parting myths that you want to bust, debunk? Mm -hmm. So I think the main thing is to remember that there's no right or wrong foods with PCOS. There's some things we can implement into our diet, like I've said, eating more fiber, a bit more omega-3, which may help with your PCOS, but we don't need those uh, drastic diets, things like cutting out gluten and dairy, paleo, keto, anything like that. The evidence just isn't there. So I would say, you know, if you can go to a registered 
nutritionist or a registered dietitian if you have the resources to be able to do that that will obviously be the best support of course you'll get personalized advice if you can't um, necessarily afford that at the moment or it's a bit out of your price range then definitely go on to the Verity website which is the PCOS charity you can have a little look on there I've written an article or two for them and of course I'm going to plug my website which is the collectivewellness.co.uk which is all evidence-based advice completely for free Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and debunking all these myths with us. We'll make sure to have all your links in the show notes for you listeners. And hey, if you're going to go to read that, you might as well go and follow our socials too. And Alex's as well. Until next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts down below in the review section. We love hearing from our audience. Absolutely. Also, check us out on Instagram at The Growth Medium. We have loads of infographics and fun reels for you to share with friends and family. And don't forget to follow us too. If you have a topic you're passionate about or a story you want to share, then come and join us. Send in your application over on thegrowthmedium.com. Oh, and we've got some freebies and articles and lots more on there too. Come back next Monday for another episode of The Growth Medium. Bye. Bye.